Take your Bible with me this morning, if you will, and open to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 7 to 15, and then a little bit later we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 17. And I want to talk to you today about forgiven to forgive. Forgiven to forgive. Beginning in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, Jesus teaching his disciples, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Listen to those words. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask now as we talk about an independence of a different sort, we've thought about the independence of our nation, the freedoms that we have. We've thought about the freedom that comes through us through the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to talk about an independence or a freedom that comes through forgiveness. Lord, we confess that forgiveness is not easy for us. But I pray, oh God, that you will help us to see today that with your help, we can forgive because we've been forgiven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Obviously today I'm talking about forgiveness. The title gives that away, doesn't it? Forgiven to forgive. But I want to ask you to do something for me as we begin. Please don't jump ship before you hear what all I have to say today. My purpose today isn't to make you feel worse because of the pain you're carrying and the unforgiveness that you have. I understand what you're talking about. I can feel what you're going through. I have been through those things myself and go through those things at times myself. So don't jump ship and say, I don't need any more guilt and I don't need any more pain because I don't believe that this message is going to add to you any more guilt or any more pain. Actually, my prayer is that it's going to bring comfort and bring guidance to all of us as we think about being forgiven so that we can forgive. I saw some statistics some time back that I want to give you. They're about pastors. And these statistics, there's a number of them. I'm only going to read to you four or five of them. Are the statistics that come from talking to pastors about what life is like in the ministry. And then the article goes on to talk about how important it is that you pray for pastors. So here are some of those statistics. 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by their trusted friends. 97%. 
You say, Pastor, what about the other 3%? They just started in the ministry last week. 70% of pastors battle depression. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure of ministry. And if you've never grown up in a pastor's home, you can't even begin to imagine the pressure it places on their children. And I included one last one for all of those of you that think pastors only work Sunday and Wednesday. 90% of pastors report working 55 to 75 hours per week. 55 to 75 hours per week. You say, Pastor, why would you share those statistics? Are you looking for sympathy? Absolutely not. I just want to remind you, 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, or hurt by their trusted friends. What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you that I know where you are. I know how you feel. I understand the pain that you're in. As the old saying says, I've been there, I've done that, and I've got the t-shirt to show it and to prove it. I understand how difficult forgiveness is and the freedom that comes from forgiveness. I know how wonderful that is, but I know that forgiving people who have wronged you is very, very difficult. I've laid on my bed at night sometimes so angry that I was like a door turning on its hinges, just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, unable to go to sleep. And at other times, I've laid on the bed and just cried into my pillow until the pillow was wet with my tears. I understand what it means to be hurt. I understand what it means to be betrayed, what it means to be falsely accused what it means to have a trusted friend to turn his or her back on you. Because I understand, I think I have some experience that I can share with you, and I have scripture, obviously, that I want to share with you about how to deal with this matter of unforgiveness. You understand that you can't stay in a church for 40 years if you haven't learned how to forgive. It's what happens to pastors three or four years in. The hurt gets so deep that you can't take it any longer, and you decide to jump ship and go somewhere else until the hurt gets so deep that you can't deal with it any longer, and then you go somewhere else. And if you haven't ever experienced that, you will eventually if you're in the ministry. But you can't make it 40 years in one place if you haven't learned something about how to forgive. And may I say... You haven't pastored a forgiving people if you have a pastor that's pastored 40 years. It hasn't, it hasn't, it was pastored less than 40 years. There has to be, it's a two way street. I have to learn to forgive and you have to learn to forgive me. We've, we've both erred at times, we've both failed at times, and we've learned. To, to love each other and to forgive one another and to, to go forward even through the pain till we find that place where we forgive the other person. That's the way it is in marriage. How is it you stay married 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years? You forgive and you are forgiven over and over again. You forgive and you are forgiven. That's the way you stay together. Yes, love is the bond, but if there is unforgiveness in that relationship, it'll kill that bond of love. 
There has to be forgiveness. And that's what God calls every one of us to express. It may take some time. It may take some effort. It may be a while before we can truly say we forgive, but God has called us to forgiveness. That makes us like him when we forgive others. He, hanging on the cross, looked at those who were doing the ultimate of punishment to him, nailing him to the tree, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is what we do as believers. Forgiveness is who we are as Christians. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Forgiven to forgiveness. We have been forgiven so that we can forgive. That, that's the nature. That's, that's the spirit of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's what God calls every one of us to. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Or consider for a moment Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Are you forgiven today? Then you've been forgiven to forgive. You've been forgiven to forgive. That's what we're supposed to be doing as believers in Jesus Christ. And unforgiveness, not working toward forgiving those who have wronged us. Jesus talks about it in this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. We commonly call it the Lord's Prayer. It's more likely the disciples' prayer. It was an example for the disciples to follow. But in those verses 15 and 16, uh, or 14 and 15, did you notice what he says? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you find those two verses to be extremely important and maybe even disturbing that if we're not willing to forgive others that the father won't forgive us in other words it's impossible for us to walk in fellowship with god holding on to unforgiveness for the rest of our lives be understanding about something related to this this forgiveness that we're talking about here is not salvation forgiveness Salvation forgiveness is what you receive the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the penalty of your sins is canceled once and for all and forever and you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about salvation forgiveness and if that's what you need today, God has it and he offers it to you through faith in his son. He's talking about fellowship forgiveness He's talking about the kind of fellowship that we have God, with God after we've become his children. He says here, our father. You can't call him your father if you don't know his son. You're not a part of the family. He's not your father. If you haven't been born into the family, you are his child. 
This is about fellowship forgiveness. This is about walking with God. If you don't forgive, the Father won't forgive you. You can't walk in fellowship with God holding on to bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart. It's impossible to do. 1 John chapter 1 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. To walk in the light is to walk in the light of what he teaches us and shows us to do. But then he goes on. What does he tell us? You're not supposed to deny your sin. You're not supposed to say you don't sin. What does he tell us to do in 1 John 1, 9? If we're going to walk in the light, what does he say? If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins. In other words, if we want to walk with God in fellowship with God, then we've got to be willing to forgive others the way he has forgiven us. And if we're unwilling to do that, the end result is that we can't walk in fellowship with God. We can't walk, we can't walk in the, the joy of the relationship that we have with him. And can I tell you that when... Forgiveness comes to your heart. There is a freedom. We're talking about freedom today. Freedom as a nation. Freedom as a child of the living God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And freedom in our relationships with one another. There's a freedom that comes when we forgive others the wrongs that they have done to us. You know what happens when you hold on to unforgiveness? It's like putting a little seed of bitterness in your heart. It germinates there for a while, and before you know it, it springs up. But it doesn't just, like a weed, grow up and destroy the beautiful garden of your life. It grows up like a weed, and it ends up destroying the beautiful garden of the lives of the people around you. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it. In chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, he says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now listen, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. It causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. That root of bitterness deep within you springs up. Others begin to see it. It begins to pour over onto other people's lives. And the result is others are contaminated by the unforgiveness that we hold on to. And yet I know, I know how hard forgiveness can be sometimes. So I want to give you some statements about forgiveness as we walk through this message over these next few minutes. And I hope that you'll write them down and you'll think about them with me as we consider them. Number one. Forgiveness is never about exposing someone to ongoing danger. Forgiveness is never about exposing someone to ongoing danger. Safety always comes first. May I just tell you that when I'm talking about forgiveness today, I'm not telling you to walk back into an abusive relationship. I'm not talking about walking back into some kind of dangerous circumstance. You can forgive without walking back into that circumstance. And God isn't expecting us to put ourselves in a position where we can be harmed. These bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should be taking care of that 
temple that God has given to us, and we're not to put ourselves back into those dangerous circumstances. So if a spouse comes to me and says, my husband or my wife is abusing me, maybe it's verbally, maybe it's physically, they're abusing me, I'm going to talk with them about forgiveness, but I'm not going to tell them to walk back into that situation where the abuse can continue to happen. Number two, forgiveness is more difficult with recent wounds suffered, especially if the offense is continuing. The more recent the wounds you feel, the more difficult the forgiveness is. I have discovered that the longer you get away from something that has harmed you and something that has hurt you, the easier it is to forgive those who have done those things to you. If the offense is still occurring, if the wrong is still happening, it's very difficult and it's very hard to forgive in those circumstances. And you have to move in a direction toward forgiveness. But we understand that forgiveness is more difficult with recent wounds suffered. You may have just come through some terrible situation. You may be deeply wounded by somebody who's a friend or a confidant, somebody who works with you, somebody who lives in your house. And those kinds of wounds are more difficult to deal with, and those kinds of wounds take longer for forgiveness to take place. Number three, forgiveness often takes time to be fully realized. It's not like a light switch you can turn on or off. I have people sometimes come and say, well, I just can't forgive him. I just can't forgive her. And the other person will say, well, why can't you? Just forgive me. Just forgive me. As if there's some kind of little electrical switch inside, a power box inside. You just got to reach into that breaker and hit the breaker. And if I turn off all the power, all of a sudden I'll forgive everything. That's sort of foolish thinking. Forgiveness often takes time to be fully realized. The time it takes depends on who wounded you. The closer the person is that wounded you, the more difficult it is to forgive sometimes and the longer that it takes to forgive. It depends on how seriously you were wounded by that person. It may be that like on your skin, you have a little scratch and you just wipe it off and the scratch is gone. Or it may be a wound that goes clear to the innermost part of your being that has caused you such terrible pain. The time it takes to, to, to forgive depends on how long the wounding took place. Was it one thing or was it something that went on for a long period of time? It depends on the other person's attitude toward your wounds. It's harder to forgive somebody who doesn't want your forgiveness. Are you all with me? It's harder to forgive somebody who doesn't ask your forgiveness. And their attitude is the attitude of, I don't care how much it hurts you, but I want you to understand that we all have to move toward forgiveness because it'll kill you if you don't do so. You don't make it 40 years in one church and still have hair. <laughs> if you don't learn something about forgiveness when you are so deeply wounded that you don't think you can pick up one foot and put it in fr front of the other, and the emotions that are deep within you are so horrible that you can't even focus on much of anything else that's going on in life. 
Someone has said that unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping the other person will die. Think about it. The poison you drink thinking the other person will die. Another described unforgiveness this way. They said unforgiveness is like imprisoning the offending person in an inner room of our hearts, intending to go there frequently to punish them. We put them in a little cell deep within ourselves, intending to go there over and over and over and punish them. You know what I'm talking about. You've done it. I've done it many times. Laid on my bed and thought, next time they say that, this is what I'm going to say. Next time I see them, this is what I'm going to do. Next time this happens, I'm going to be ready. And you go into that inner cell and you punish that person again and again and again and again. But really, the only person you end up punishing is yourself. That's what I've learned. You really only end up punishing yourself. You understand there's a story that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 18. You don't have to turn there. But I hope you'll read it. It's verses 21 down to verses verse 21 down to verse 35. It's the, the story of the king who's calling his servants in and he's settling up matters with his servants. And one of the servants comes to settle up what he owes. But he owes an amount of money that is too great. It is too uh, too, too large to even be able to pay. And so the king decides what he's going to do is he's going to punish this servant because he can't pay his debt. And the servant begins to beg him, oh God, please, or oh, oh king, please, oh king, please forgive, us, for forgive me. Oh king, please forgive me. And the king, with great graciousness and great kindness, forgives the man of, what a, of a debt that is insurmountable. It's unpayable in human terms. He walks out of the room and he goes and he finds another man who owes him money. The servant finds another servant that owes him money. And it's a paltry amount of money. But that other servant can't pay the debt. And rather than forgive as he had been forgiven, he chooses to hold that debt over his head. And he has the man thrown into prison. Word gets back to the king. You remember the gracious king? The gracious king who had forgiven so magnanimously this servant earlier of a debt he couldn't have paid had he had his whole lifetime to pay it back. He hears about this servant and he calls him back into his room. And listen to what it says, verse 34. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. He delivered him to the torturers. It has nothing to do with eternal punishment. It has nothing to do with being separated from God forever. It has nothing to do with a place called hell. That has to do with the torment that comes because you refuse to forgive. He turns you over to the tormentors, your own emotions, your own psychological well-being. He turns you over to the things that torment you because holding on to unforgiveness doesn't punish the offender. It ends up punishing you in the process. Number four, forgiveness opens the door to reconciliation or civility at least. But the restoration of trust takes time. Forgiveness 
opens the door to reconciliation or at least civility, but the restoration of trust takes time. When you forgive someone, ultimately you can at least treat them in a civil fashion. You don't have to walk down the street like I have done on occasion when I was holding on to my bitterness and I had to cross the street because I didn't want to cross paths with that person and have to interact with an individual who had hurt me so deeply. Forgiveness allows you to at least reestablish a civil relationship and in some cases and in many cases to have a complete reconciliation with somebody who has wronged you. But understand that the restoration of trust, trust that was broken, trust that was violated is something that takes time to rebuild. And number five, and where we're going to spend the remainder of our time, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an action or decision you make. It's, it's not a feeling, well, Pastor, I, I just don't feel forgiving. I don't feel like I can forgive. I don't feel as if I've forgiven that person. I don't feel that forgiveness. We're not talking about feelings. We're talking about an action. We're talking about a decision. So let me just give you a definition of what it means to forgive. Are you ready? It's going to be on the screen so you can write it down. Here is a biblical definition of what it means to forgive. To forgive someone means I will never talk about the offense again, nor will I dwell on it, bring it up to others, or use it against the person that caused the offense. Did you get that? I will never talk about the offense again, nor will I dwell on it, bring it up to others, or use it against the person that caused the offense. In other words, you work to put it out of your mind and away from you so that you're not focused on it, so that your feelings ultimately are able to follow what are your actions and the choices that you make. One of my favorite authors from the past is a woman named Corey Timboom. If you're familiar with Billy Graham, you don't understand that she gave her testimony many, many times. She is a survivor as a survivor of the Holocaust. How would you ever forgive the Nazis for what they did to the Jewish people, to her people? How would you ever forgive the Nazis for what they did to Corey's sister? or what they did to her. But Corey Timboon writes about this matter of forgiving others who have wronged you so deeply and so harshly, and she puts it in terms that I think all of us can understand that will bring light to the definition I've just given to you. If you've ever seen, she writes, a country church with a bell in the steeple, you will remember that to get the bell ringing, you have to tug a while. Once it's begun to ring, you merely maintain the momentum. As long as you keep pulling, the bell keeps ringing. She says, forgiveness is letting go of the rope. It's just that simple. But when you do so, the bell keeps ringing. Momentum is still at work. However, if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. That's what I'm talking about. To forgive someone means I'll never talk about the offense again, nor will I dwell on it, bring it up to others, or use it against the person that caused the offense. Now look, 
I'm going to give you some practical advice here in just a few more moments. I understand that's probably not going to be an event that takes place in your life. That's probably going to be a process that may take a long time to take place in your life. But that's where we're moving. We've been forgiven to forgive. Holding on to that unforgiveness will only destroy you. Trust me. Trust me on this. I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. It'll only destroy you and the ones that you love around you. You're not punishing the person who wronged you. You're punishing you in the process. And if it takes time to get to the place where you can forgive someone who has wronged you, it'll be an independence and a freedom that you'll be thankful you experienced in your life. One of my favorite explanations of forgiveness in the Bible comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. Listen to what God says to his people. I, he says, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, let me ask you a question. If God is an omnipotent God, if God is an omniscient God, that's the word I want. If God is an omniscient God, meaning he knows all things, can God ever forget anything? God never forgets anything. God knows everything. Then what does he mean when he says, I'll not remember your sins? What he means is that I'll not remember your sins against you. I'll not talk about the offense again. I'll not dwell on it. I'll not bring it up to others. I'll not use it against you. I will not remember your sins against you. That's really great news, isn't it? You stand before God and you know that you're guilty. And God knows that you were guilty. But you asked God for forgiveness and he cleansed you and he forgave you. And the result is that he says, I will never use that against you again. I'm glad I'm able to stand before a God like that, aren't you? He's He's omniscient. He knows everything. He never forgets any of the sins that we commit. But he promises that when they're forgiven, he'll never use them against us again. That's forgiveness. It may take us a while to get there. God is God. You you understand that, right? God is God, and man is man, and we're just not quite where God is, obviously. We're nowhere near God is. God can do things that we cannot do. He can do things instantly that we cannot do over long periods of time, but God can help us to move in that direction. God can help us to move in that direction. And may I just remind you of something? May I just remind you of something? It is Satan who is the accuser. It is Satan who wants to bring up your past, who wants to keep telling you about it, who wants to make it known to everybody else, who wants somebody else to be aware of your faults and your failings. That's Satan. God doesn't remember our sins against us ever again. But Satan does, and Satan looks for every opening to use them to destroy you or attack you if he can. Someone accurately said it this way, Satan loathes forgiveness. Forgiveness offends everything he stands for and fights against. 
He relentlessly accuses morning, afternoon, evening, and night, hurling our sins like stones against us. He continues, accuser is who he is, and therefore forgiveness is his sworn enemy. Forgiveness contradicts his existence. Forgiveness defiles his life's work. To him, that is to Satan, forgiveness is hostility. For Christians, though, forgiveness is an act of peacemaking purchased and made possible by the cross. In other words, accusing is Satan's work and forgiveness is God's work. And because he's forgiven us, we're to forgive others. Even if it takes time for that to happen, we're to forgive others. I can't help but think of the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. John chapter 8. You remember that story? They caught a woman, and it says, in the very act of adultery. You realize that adultery under the law of Moses was a capital offense. It would have cost her her life. She could have been stoned to death on the spot. They bring this woman to Jesus. And don't you think it's interesting that they bring the woman but not the man? Because people who are unforgiving and people who hold on to bitterness and people who are legalistic in this fashion, they don't see the truth. They leave the man completely out of it for whatever the reason. They catch her in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus. And it says, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? What are you going to do with her? The law of Moses says she ought to be stoned to death. And they were trying to put Jesus in an untenable situation. You understand what he's saying? If he doesn't stone her to death, then if he doesn't call for her stoning to death, then he's breaking the law of Moses. Uh, If he stones her to death, then he'll be breaking the Roman law. And they think they have him in a position where he has no way out. And Jesus looks at those that are gathered around her and says to them, well, here's what I will tell you to do. He that's without sin... Let him cast the first stone. And Jesus bends down and Jesus begins writing in the dirt. Wouldn't you like to know what he was writing? I've heard sermons preached about what he was writing, even though they didn't know what he was writing. But they made for great sermons. (laughs) Writing in the dirt. He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Anybody here without sin? then every one of us needs forgiveness, right? He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, the Pharisees, from the oldest to the youngest, the oldest knowing the magnitude of their sins, the youngest maybe waiting, not realizing the magnitude yet of all their sins, but by the oldest to the youngest, they walk away and Jesus stands back up and he looks at the woman and he says, where are the accusers? Where are the accusers? And Jesus does what for her? Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't leave her in her sin. He told her to leave and to go and sin no more. But what did he do? He was the opposite. On one side, there are the accusers, the Pharisees, who are operating in in the energy of, of a demonic spirit, I would suppose. 
And on the other side, there is Jesus who says, I forgive you. God is a God of forgiveness. And when we're in the business of accusing other people and bringing up the past and constantly rehearsing it in their presence and holding it against them over and over again, the result is we're not acting like God. We're acting like the accuser. He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Look for a moment to Luke chapter 17, and let me bring this to a close. Are you all with me still? You say, Pastor, this is supposed to be Independence Weekend. If I can help you get free from, move toward the freedom from your bitterness, you can find a freedom that will be greater than any freedom you can ever imagine, right? Luke chapter 17. I want you to listen to what Jesus teaches his disciples about forgiveness, beginning in verse 1. Then he said to, to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. You hear what he says? We're going to be offended at times. We're going to be hurt at times. But woe to the one through whom they do, they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. By the way, he might be talking about the children, but he's not talking to children. He's talking to the disciples, these young believers whether it's the children or it's these young believers, he said it's a dangerous thing to offend others. But now he's going to talk about it. He's using it to talk about the matter of forgiveness. Verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now why does he say rebuke him? By the way, the word rebuke doesn't mean you walk up, slap him in the face, tell him what you think about him, rake him over the coals, read him the riot act. I know I've wanted to do that on numerous occasions. I've done that to myself on numerous occasions about things that happened. Am I the only one preaching here to myself, or am I getting through to anybody else who's ever been there? Just would you raise your hand and say, I've been there? Okay, all 12 of us. And the rest of you, I expect to see at the altar in just a few moments. This, this rebuke is a, is a kind rebuke. You're bringing to the attention of the individual that you have offended me, and he repents. And what is the purpose of, of this rebuke and this repentance? It is that there can be reconciliation. There can be reconciliation that occurs. But now listen to what he says, verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, returns to you saying, I repent, <laughs> you shall forgive him. Now, I want you to get what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when we have truly forgiven, the next offense is the first offense. Because you're not going to bring it up again. You're not going to think about it. You're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to tell others about it. It's gone. It's in the past. You've put it away. So the next offense is the first offense. And if he comes seven times in a day, you forgive him. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said we should forgive, do you know the number? Seventy times seven. I used up 140, what's that, 70 times seven? I used up 149 
like in the first year of ministry. How about you? Lord, do you know what you're telling us? Look, look how the disciples respond, verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord, do you know what you're telling us to do? You're telling us to forgive somebody who comes back and does something again and has to be forgiven a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time and a seventh time, all in a day? And then he says 70 times, seven, Lord, you're going to have to increase my faith. Faith isn't the problem. Verse 6, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you realize how small a mustard seed is? You can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, it's not about faith here. It's about recognizing that you have been forgiven to forgive. It's recognizing that you have been forgiven in order to forgive. It's an understanding. It's an understanding that this is what God wants us to do. And again, I, I know, I know the pain sometimes hurts so badly that it takes time for forgiveness to be worked out. I understand that. But it's got to be the goal of all of us or it will destroy us. And the, the, the bondage that we were in will never go away. And the independence and the freedom that he wants us to have will never be, will never be realized. You may end up giving up on a marriage or you may end up giving up on a ministry or you may end up giving up on a job or end up giving up on any number of things when God really wanted you to stay there and he do great things through you there. Lord, you're going to have to increase our faith. And the Lord says, no, you don't need more faith to forgive like I'm talking about. If you've got just that of a mustard seed, that's all you need, the tiniest amount, that's all you need. And then he goes on to say, listen to what he says. He's going to talk about a servant. He's using it as an illustration about forgiveness. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. In other words, the servant's job is to work in the field and then come home and prepare the meal. So when he comes in, what does he do? Sit down? No, he goes and prepares the meal. That's what he's supposed to do. That's his task. That's his responsibility. That's his job description. Verse 8. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. He's using a story. He's using an illustration. The servant comes in. His job description is that when you finish working in the field, you fix the meal and you serve it to the master of the, of the house. That's your job description. You don't thank him for doing what he's supposed to do. That's the point. You obey God. That's the, that's the ultimate point. You just obey God. God says, I've got to forgive. I've got to forgive. Lord, I know I've got to forgive. That, that's what you tell me to do. I've got to forgive. I, I know it's not going to happen immediately. It's not a switch. I, I can't turn a switch on and off, and all of a sudden it's all going to go away. 
but I've got to move in the direction of what it means to forgive other people who have wronged me in return. I have to learn to forgive. And today, if you're hurting because of wrong that's being done to you and around you, I'm with you. I understand. I get it. And I understand the pain. And I understand the sleepless nights and I understand the anger and I understand not wanting to eat meals. And I understand the tears that you cry and I understand. I understand. But all of us, friends, have been forgiven to forgive. And while it might not happen in a moment, we've got to ask God to help Help us to forgive in time, knowing that we cannot hold on to the wrongs that are done to us or it will destroy us, not the one who wronged us. I give you seven thoughts to finish. Number one, be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. It takes time. Remember what I said earlier on? Depending on how close the person was to you, how often the offense occurred, whether it is still occurring or not, you have to understand that you've got to be patient with yourself even though you're moving in the direction of forgiveness. Number two, you've got to ask God for help. You've got to ask God for help. Do you believe God helps those who ask him? Yes. But by the way, sometimes you just go pray the imprecatory psalms. You know what the imprecatory psalms are? Those are the psalms that you find where the psalmist is saying, Lord, get him. Take him down, God. Kill him right there. Those are the imprecatory psalms. Do you realize God can handle that kind of praying? Because that's how you feel, and God knows how you feel. The best counselor you'll ever talk to is the God of heaven, because he doesn't talk to anybody. I mean, about what you're thinking and feeling. Number three, believe you will forgive. Even if at this moment you can't believe you will forgive. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. I will come to the place where I can forgive. Number four, focus your thinking. Focus your thinking. This is the hardest part. This is the hardest part, at least for me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't brood. Let yourself brood. I do this. I've done this. Don't let yourself brood over the offense and the hurt until it just gets worse and worse within you. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Focus your thinking. Number five, feelings follow actions. You say, well, I just don't feel it, Pastor. I know. I understand. You realize there's people today that I can walk by and smile at and shake their hand, and years ago I would have slapped them if I'd have seen them. I'd have done it in Christian love, but I would have slapped them if I'd have seen them. I would have delighted to have decked them. Men, you ever hit a wall at your house? I mean, with your fist? 
You ever get so upset you just hit the wall at your house and hopefully you don't hit one of the studs? You say, Pastor, when I start focusing my thinking and I start moving and believing that I can ultimately forgive and I can move forward, even if it's not total reconciliation, it's at least a civility. Maybe I'll not trust like I once trusted, but I'll at least be able to be civil with somebody. And you're asking God to help you. Please, God, help you. And you're patiently waiting for those movements to come and to see that movement taking place you before long will find yourself saying, you know, I don't feel like I used to feel toward that person because feelings follow actions. Number six, time helps. Number six, time helps. I don't believe time is the healer. I believe God is the healer, but time helps. Give yourself time. And finally, number seven, talk to someone. Talk to someone. You know, one of the worst parts of being a pastor is being in a position of leadership and everybody thinks that you've got all the answers and you don't really have anybody that you can talk to, that you can really just pour your heart out to and just say, knowing that they'll not judge you in return, to just be able to say. I used to hear it, leadership is lonely. After 45 years of ministry, I can tell you from personal experience, leadership is lonely. But you understand that there's always somebody you can talk to, and be careful who it is, because you always got somebody who's going to get right in the middle of it and going to rile you up even more than you are, rather than to listen to you and love you and not condemn you and pray for you and be your friend. Forgiveness means I will never talk about the offense again, nor will dwell on it, bring it up to others, or use it against the person that caused the offense. That means, wives, if your husband did something that was really stupid, no husband ever does that, right? Right. Really stupid, and he comes and he says, honey, I'm so sorry, and you forgive him. That means that the next argument, you don't bring it back up. The next disagreement, you don't bring it back up. Whether it's a relationship in marriage or it's a relationship in the family or it's a relationship with somebody else outside of the family or a relationship in the church, who amongst us is sinless? You cast the first stone then. We all need forgiveness. Because we've been forgiven, we are able to forgive with the help of the Almighty God. I want to close with this. Stormy, Stormy Omartian. Stormy Omartian. She's an American Christian author and a speaker. She started her career in singing and acting while she was a student at UCLA. Stormy had a difficult upbringing with a mentally ill and abusive mother who kept her locked in a closet much of her early life. She also had an absent father who worked long hours and didn't do anything about the circumstances this little girl was growing up to experience. She says she struggled with depression and fear and anxiety and hopelessness, and she tried various ways to cope, including alcohol and drugs and unhealthy relationships, but she said nothing worked, and she found herself wanting to end her life. 
A friend invited Stormy to meet her pastor who talked to her about Jesus and how receiving him as her Savior would bring the separation from God that was causing her problems, that would bridge the separation from God that was causing her problems. He gave her three books to read, and as she read them, Stormy's eyes were opened to a new perspective on life. She received Jesus as her Savior and noticed a difference in her life right away. She began to feel peace and love and joy and hope for the very first time and gradually became free from her depression and anxiety and fear. Stormy also learned about the power of prayer. And if you've read any of her books, you'll know that several of them are on the matter of prayer. About the importance, she learned about the importance of prayer and about worshiping and praising God and the transformation that takes place when we obey Him. And over the years, God changed Stormy's life so much that she hardly recognized herself from the person she used to be. This is what Stormy Omartian said. Maybe you won't believe me. Were you locked in a closet when you were a child growing up by your mother who was mentally ill? How do you ever forgive something of that nature? Listen to what she says. One little statement. Forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. Forgiveness doesn't make the other person right. It makes you free. On this Independence Day weekend, do you want to be free? It's going to take time. It's going to require God's help. But little by little, because you've been forgiven, you can forgive. And you're not there yet? I understand. I love you. I understand. I understand. But don't stop moving in that direction until God works that forgiveness in your heart toward others so that you can put it behind you. And you can press forward into the joy and the peace and the meaning and the purpose of all that God wants to do in your life and God wants to do through your life.